Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 60, and the topic for today is complaining effectively. And I'm joined today with my guest, Dr. Guy Winch. Welcome, Guy. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's great to have you on. We actually met on Twitter. We uh, exchanged some messages there, and that's how I became aware of Guy's phenomenal book called The Squeaky Wheel. And the subtitle is Complaining the Right Way to Get Results, Improve Your Relationships, and Enhance Self esteem. And I went through the process of reading the book because Guy was generous enough to send me a copy for review and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so I first wanted to just congratulate you, Guy, on putting together such an amazing book. Thank you very much. That's very kind. Now, what occurred to me while I was reading the book was how you came to this topic. And so I wonder if you could just tell the listeners a little bit about where you come from, what your background is, and what really brought you to becoming such an expert in this particular area and writing a book about it as well. Well, I'm a clinical psychologist. And one of the things that struck me when I first started working with patients was that they would spend a lot of time voicing complaints. That is why a lot of people go to therapists. But if they had a complaint about their spouse or if they had a complaint about a friend and I would ask them, well, did you say something to your spouse or to your friend? More times than not, the response would be, no, there's no real point. And the other thing that happened was that people would sometimes spend entire sessions discussing consumer complaints or having to call a toll-free number and the frustration and irritation they had in doing so. And it upset them to the point that that was the focus of literally a full session. So it started getting me curious about what it is about complaining that we feel so powerless in our ability to do it effectively or to get a result. So that started my curiosity. And then a short while after that, um, maybe a few years after that, actually, I had an experience in my own life which led me to realize that how we complain today is so different than how we used to complain, let's say 50 or 100 years ago, because today we really conceive as complaints as just opportunities to vent frustration. We don't think of them as ways to get resolution, as communications that are vital for us to be able to get results, to resolve problems, to you know get grievances addressed. And so I started looking into the research about complaining and the psychology of complaining, and that's what got me started uh, in uh, getting into the book. It's fascinating. In fact, the topics that we've covered, Guy, on this podcast series have often been about how to improve, you know, interpersonal communication and dealing with the world in an effective manner. And one of the areas I don't think we've really provided any focus on is the one of where somebody finds themselves in a situation where the world isn't quite the way that they want it. And uh, going about changing that and being effective at doing that is, in fact, core to the approach that you take. And so I think it's an incredibly important topic. I think a lot of people think that they know how to complain effectively. And I think you 
do an excellent job at explaining that it really isn't probably as effective as you think, and that this is an area that really needs some direct focus. And so you were good enough as well to share with us some quotes, because the people that listen to this podcast series really appreciate that kind of way of getting into a topic. And then you also provided uh, some top 10 tips as well that we can go through. So maybe we can get started on some of your quotes. Well, the first, and uh, this is obviously the most relevant one, I think, to my book, the, actually the quote of the squeaky wheel is that um, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And this is an old American idiom back from the days of the horse and carriage where, indeed, we relied on wheels and for them to squeak to know that we need to oil them. But the Chinese proverb, it is better to light a single candle than curse the darkness, really encapsulates my approach to this topic. It's better to complain once effectively than to just vent frustration to dozens of people in a way that's ineffective. The second quote, Mark Twain said, I think a compliment ought to always precede a complaint where one is possible because it softens resentment and ensures for the complaint a courteous and gentle reception. And I believe in that completely. We tend to get really defensive when we hear complaints. So starting with a compliment is a way to have the other person be more receptive to what we're about to say. John F. Kennedy said, one person can make a difference and every person should try. And there is a chapter in my book in which I discuss complaints as social activism. And the thing about that is that we typically all have very similar complaints. If there's something in the neighborhood, if there's a missing traffic light or a rude uh, grocery clerk that's bothering me, it's bothering my neighbors as well. But we don't tend to speak up together about that. So actually speaking up together is a way of creating change. And one person starting that is a good way to get the ball rolling. And I have several examples of that kind of dynamic uh, and, and case study in my book. The last one is Francois Duc de la Rochefoucauld, who said, many complain of their memory, few of their judgment. And I thought that was apt, because when we complain, we sometimes don't use our best judgment in doing so. And that has all kinds of consequences as well. I devote an entire chapter to uh, complaints gone wrong, and it happens more often than we might think. Excellent set of quotes, and really focusing, I think, on your main point that we often think that we are doing fine in this area when in actual fact we may well be complaining a lot but we don't actually evaluate the effectiveness of our communication with regard to achieving the objectives that we have and i think you've put together an excellent list of top 10 items that we can go through next that get us to start thinking about how to do that more effectively why don't we start with number one well, the first one is to identify exactly what we want to achieve by complaining. And while that sounds simplistic, this is a crucial step we always skip. We actually don't stop to think, hmm, what do I want to get out of this complaint? People say to me all the time, oh, I'm really going to complain to this person about such and such. And I say, okay, great. What is it you want to get out of that? And they look at me a little confused because they really haven't thought about that. And in many occasions, when they do identify what they want to get out of the complaint, they realize that they should be complaining in a different way than they were planning to, and sometimes to an entirely different person than the one they were thinking of complaining to. So that's a really important step that we should not skip. Figure out what you want to achieve by complaining before you start. You mentioned as well the notion that 
if you are approaching a situation where you're going to to complain, a lot of people just go off and you know complain, and the complaining is sort of something they're doing in it in its own right, rather than you know stepping back and saying, well, unless the objective of the actual complaining is just a vent, if you actually wanted to you know actually achieve something, and you give many examples of that. It's this very point of saying, work backwards from what you want to achieve and then decide how you want to approach achieving that. But you're, you're probably in a situation where maybe 70% or something of all the situations that anybody might find themselves in, that they've never really thought what the end result should be. So starting with the end in mind is an excellent way to start our top 10 list too. I, I agree with you. I think you're being slightly generous with a 70%. I think, okay. <laughs> I think it's more. Uh, but it's absolutely, you're absolutely correct. It's about working backwards. Figure out what your end result should be. Work backwards in terms of figuring out what's the best way to get there. Uh, and that brings us to number two on the list, mm -hmm. which is to address your complaint to the person who can get you the result you want. And this is another mistake we make much more often than we expect. For example, in restaurants, most people, and I've seen this happen all the time, will, if they're dissatisfied with something, will mention something on the way out, by the way, to the host uh, or to the cashier. Two people who have absolutely no authority to do anything about the problem, and certainly not while you're walking out of the restaurant and there's not a chance for them to respond. Um, but even when we're upset, um, let's say, with a, with a company, uh, and we call a customer service hotline, we need to know that those people have limits to their authority. So if we're trying to dispute a fee and it's, you know, uh, basic late fee, they might be able to waive that for us. But if our dispute is larger, we'll need to speak to someone higher up. And so we need to identify who is the best person that has the authority to resolve the issue and really try and get to them as soon as possible. Number three is to avoid anger, insults, or sarcasm. And this is so difficult, really, because we are most likely to want to complain when we're annoyed. So that's when we're most really itching to voice our complaint, when we're irritated, when we're upset, when we're annoyed. And it's just at that time that we have to be able to rein that in. Because what happens is that when we use anger or sarcasm or insults, all it does, and we, by the way, we might be very justified, but if we want to get a result, all those things do is they completely distract the person we're complaining to from the content of our complaint, because now they're really only paying attention to the fact that we're angry. So they're paying attention to our attitude or to our tone, and they're starting to think about a rebuttal, and why are we speaking to them in that way, and how can we be insulting? They've completely lost sight of what we're actually saying. So even if we're justified, it just doesn't serve our purpose to voice complaints by using anger or insults or sarcasm. It's literally distracting the person from what we want them to hear most. We've often talked about on this podcast series, guys, the notion of separating some time between an event that upsets you and then what you're going to do about it because you want to calm down. You want to not be as emotional. And we've also talked about the notion of if you're going to write something down, if you're going to write, for example, an email, and I think in this case, if you're going to write an email to complain, you may well want to write it when the emotions are high, because you want to keep some of those uh, concepts in mind, but don't send it, sit on it, sleep on it, and come back to it the next day when you've got a clearer head, and then you can go back to your number one and say, well, wait a minute, everything I wrote was just venting. Now I want to step back and say, 
okay, what did I really want to achieve with this? And then let's take out some of the additional emotional words. And like you say, the, the anger, the insults, the ar- uh, sarcasm, uh, that's not going to get you anywhere. But you probably are going to have a flow of all of them if you are first, you know, writing or you know, speaking right after the event happened when you're still really emotional. So getting some distance uh, psychological distance really on the topic is probably also a way to think about this. Absolutely. I really agree. I'm absolutely from the sleeping on its school of thought. And also because when we are upset, it doesn't just alter how we express ourselves. It really alters our perceptions and our judgment. So it's not that we won't feel that way in uh, the next morning, but the next morning, if we're calmer, we will be able to look at what we wrote with different eyes, see things that we weren't seeing literally the day before. So it's absolutely important to do. I agree with that 100%. Great. Number four? Number four is to begin with a neutral or positive statement. I obviously lifted that one from Mark Twain, uh, as I said earlier in his quote. But really why that's important is because it's a natural response to get defensive when somebody is complaining to us. It's just literally a, a psychological reflex. By the way, this is one that customer service professionals have to overcome. It's not that they are immune to it. They must override it. So that makes their jobs a little difficult. It's natural for us to get defensive when someone's complaining. And when we get defensive, our response is to start thinking of, you know, explanations, excuses, possible counterattacks. In other words, our mind gets very busy planning out our defense. So by starting with a neutral or a positive response, we are less likely to trigger those defensive or less likely to trigger them as, as um, excessively. And therefore, the other person will be more likely to hear what comes next, which will be our actual complaint. I find that this one works both on the person that you're complaining to and even yourself, Guy. If you're starting off saying, you know, a positive thing, getting some level of rapport with the person, you're calming yourself down. You're establishing a decent human interaction with the other person. They feel more comfortable, as you say. Their guard doesn't come up as a result. And you can increase the likelihood that you'll actually have a decent, productive conversation, as opposed to, as you say, if you're going to get them all upset and yourself upset in the process, your heart rate's going to go higher. As you say, your area of focus in terms of actual having any cognitive acuity of actually being able to think well will also be compromised. And so starting off nice and calm serves the needs of both the calming the situation with regard to the person you're speaking with, as well as yourself. You're absolutely right. The fifth point is to voice only one complaint at a time. Where this is most important is in our relationships. Because as I mentioned earlier, we tend to avoid complaining. We are much more likely to tell our friends if our wife annoyed us, uh, or tell our girlfriends if our husband annoyed us, or tell a locker room acquaintance, than tell our spouse. And what happens then is we accumulate complaints. We accumulate complaints of the same genre, we accumulate different genres, and then once we do decide to voice them, we tend to bring them all out at once. And that really will trigger the person's uh, defenses, but worse, it will overwhelm them to the point that they couldn't respond constructively, even if they wanted to, because they're just overwhelmed. So if we're upset about them doing something specific, our spouse, our friend, our colleague, all we need to do to make that point is use the most recent event. We don't need to tell them that they started doing this 15 years ago and they've done it 34 times since. It's just not necessary. It doesn't make our point any stronger. Our point is, you did this last night 
and it upset me. And that is sufficient to let them know that doing whatever that was is upsetting and they shouldn't do it. So only voice one complaint at a time. The next is to provide necessary detail, but not emotional commentary. In other words, we want to explain what the context was of what happened, what exactly happened if we're complaining to a company what specifically wasn't working about the product or where, why the service was inadequate or why what our um, spouse or friend or loved one did was upsetting in that specific context. We want to give detail, but detail, not emotional commentary, not, and it was so unbelievable that you did this really <laughs> humiliating, insulting thing, just say you completely ignored me all night. And I found that upsetting, but without the emotional commentary, because it just makes it simpler and easier for the other person to grasp our point. And again, what our goal is or should be is for them to get it and do something about it. Excellent. Number seven. Number seven is to be clear about what you're asking for. And this is another one of those basic things that we think we do, but we don't do. In other words, we don't say, and this therefore is what would make me feel better. We don't tell our spouse, and so therefore I want you to stay with the kids next weekend so I can go and do such and such. Or we don't say to our colleague, and therefore I want to take the lead on the next presentation because you hogged all the attention on this one. Or we don't say to a company, therefore I would like a refund and I want you to pay the shipping charges both ways. We actually usually just leave it up to them to offer something. And it is much easier for people to respond and certainly much easier for companies to respond if they know what it is that will make us satisfied, that will leave us feeling pleased and that we can put the event behind us. It's especially important in our relationships because if our loved ones know that if they just do this, what we're asking for, we can call it a day, we won't have to revisit the issue. It's really incentivizing for them to do that. And again, the same for companies. So say what you want. I like the being specific. I think as you're saying, people often think that they're clear what they're asking for. And they'll probably say to you, as you were saying, that they are being clear about what, what they've been asking for. It would be obvious that after I gave this complaint that the natural thing would be that the other person would assume that this would be the action. But as you point out, uh, a lot of the time that's not at all clear. And so being very specific and whether you're writing this or whether you're saying it, actually getting to the point of saying this is exactly what will resolve this situation, that level of trying to figure it out on the, the recipient side is lessened, the need for it. And you can be, you know, much more specific. You give lots of examples of that in your book as well that I found really helpful in terms of trying to understand this this topic more specifically and, th and this particular suggestion as well of some real examples of what types of things you'd actually ask for. And then you're pleased that a company will come back and actually say, well, yes, okay, we can do that because they may well have actually been assuming without giving that kind of detail that you may well have been asking for much more. Whereas a lot of the time, if you ask something that is actually quite reasonable, they're more likely to actually respond. That's correct, because a lot of us will ask for unreasonable things sometimes, you know, and I've heard a lot of examples of this. My toaster oven was broken, but it was my anniversary brunch. So I demand you send me a toaster oven and a microwave to compensate me for my, you know, that kind of thing where the mm -hmm. company representative is thinking, uh, no, you just had a broken toaster oven. <laughs> so they need to know what it is we do expect. And it leads me into the next 
point number eight, which is to end with a neutral or positive statement, because we do need that spoonful of sugar to help make the medicine go down. And saying what we want and then saying in some kind of way, and if that happens, I will be really satisfied, I'll feel really pleased, or honey, if you can do that for me, it'll really make me feel much better about what happened, really motivates the other person to take that action because it's much easier for them to give us what we're asking for or to do what we're requesting when they know that that will really make us feel better. And if we end with a sharp note or just with a complaint itself, the implication is we're still angry. But if we end with a neutral or a positive note, the implication is we're not or we will be less so. So it really gives them the message both, both verbally and in subtext that this is a really good idea for them to respond in the way we've asked for because it'll really make things better between us, whether I'm a customer or a loved one or a friend or a colleague. Yeah, starting with a positive comment and then ending it with a positive one, I think also just generates some level of relationship, human to human as well, right, Guy? I mean, the you want to be assertive in the middle of this in terms of saying what it is that that was a problem and what it is that you would like to have happen to resolve that particular problem. But if you're starting off developing a little bit of a relationship at the beginning, starting off with a positive thing and then finishing off positively, if you compare that kind of interaction with a just exclusively negative experience that somebody has, we're all human. We're more likely to want to help out the person that established some positive relationship with us, but was still assertive in terms of saying what it is that they wanted, but they're likely to be more positive about helping us if we've established that positive situation at the beginning, at the end of the actual communication. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's exactly the point. We are trying to mend relationships. That is what this is about, really. We're trying to mend some kind of rupture, small or large, in the relationship, whether it's with our spouse, whether it's with a a company, as a, you know, a, a customer with a company, we have a relationship with companies, whether it's with a friend, whatever the circumstance, yes, we're trying to mend a relationship. And so doing those things brings it back to that relationship and does that. I'm very glad you brought that up. I think that's related to, to your next one, number nine, I think. Yes, which is to treat the customer service representative respectfully because they didn't cause the problem. Unfortunately, when we call a customer service hotline, we tend to assume that they are the literal representatives of the company. Now, they are called a representative, but they are not sitting right outside the CEO's office, you know, munching on bonbons. Uh, They are in some kind of call center, usually a state or a country away. They are entry-level employees They have really difficult jobs because they are really um, constrained by the demands of scripts. They have to go by what their computer tells them to do. And research tells us that on average, these people field 10 hostile calls a day in which they are cursed and threatened and treated horribly. And yet they have to maintain the, you know, the, the good cheer or the helpfulness as much as possible. So when we, and they didn't cause the problem, certainly, they're just trying, they're there trying to help us and do the best they can for us. They didn't break the toaster oven. They didn't send us the wrong size shoe. They're just there to fix it. So if we treat them with kindness and with respect, they will be 
much more helpful. And many times I've said to people when I call, uh, look, if I sound annoyed, I want to apologize up front. It's absolutely not with you. I know this was not your fault. I'm not angry with you. I know you're here to help me. I'm just apologizing up front if I sound irritated. I'm irritated by the situation. Please don't take it personally. And they always brighten when I say that because they don't hear that a lot. They don't hear that they're not terrible people. They hear it's their fault. So saying that, treating them respectfully will just make them want to do their best for us. And that's our goal, to get a better result. So they'll put forth better efforts if we treat them respectfully. That's such an important point. And and you gave a very good example of how we should be, in fact, starting those calls anyway. And the other thing that I found useful, sometimes useful to be able to empathize with people on the other end of the phone better. And one of the things that I found particularly helpful in that regard from your book was your characterization of one particular customer service representative and you know what their life is like and what their experience from their end of the telephone is all about as well. And I think if we get a better understanding of the kinds of people that we're actually speaking with, we'll be that much more human <laughs> toward them and we'll have you know a more effective communication that is, as you say, respectful. Absolutely. The story I tell in the book is a pretty dramatic story of this one representative, but it's a really important humanizing example of who these people, I'm trying to put a face on who these people actually are, and having a face on them really makes it easier to to control our aggravation when we make these calls. The uh, last point is to escalate our complaint to a senior executive if we don't get a resolution. This, of course, is if we're complaining to companies, if we're complaining to our spouse, she or he are the senior executive. uh, So there's no escalation there. But in companies, if we're not getting the result we want, if we ask to speak to a supervisor, they cannot help or we're being blocked from doing so. We can always go online through the Better Business Bureau, through Google, find the names and emails of principals in the company and email our complaint to them. Because they know, which sometimes the frontline employees do not. They know that it is far more expensive to them, five times more expensive to recruit a new customer through traditional marketing or advertising than it is to retain a present customer through better customer service and complaint handling procedures. So they will be highly motivated to try and do the best for you. And if you are a loyal customer, if you've been a customer before and you indicate this in your letter or your email, I've purchased many things from this company, I've been with this service for this long, then they are even more motivated to do that. So we have always the recourse of writing to a senior executive and saying to them, this is what happened. I've tried going through your you know, traditional channels. I wasn't able to get any." But here's why I think you should respond, because I'm a loyal customer. I'd like to continue to be a loyal customer, but I really need this matter resolved. That is a great rounding out of the the top 10. I think the notion here, and you've actually added some additional thoughts to this number 10, which is not simply the escalating to more senior levels, but also to reinforce things like that you're a lawyer customer, you'd like to have your faith restored of of a company that you're working with that uh, I've certainly also included that have a large social network of people that I uh, speak with. And I've been saying lots of positive things about them other than this one particular instant. And so want to get some level of, uh, of perspective of fixing the problem and gets us back to where we started in terms of the objective that we actually had and who it is that we wanted to complain to in order to get the objective. 
a lot of the time when we're really clear in that escalation communication, I think there too, reinforcing those core points of this is what I want to uh, achieve and being respectful again there as well, but really seeing it from their perspective. If this person were reading this and they were reading your argument, what would convince them as opposed to seeing it from your own point of view, seeing it from their point of view in terms of what kinds of things are important to them. And I think you just reinforce several of those, like that you're a loyal customer, they want to keep uh, loyal customers, that you communicate with others as well, and they obviously know that some of the time people that complain are a minority of the people that actually have had that complaint in their mind, and fewer people that actually voice a complaint than actually think it, which is the point you made as well. So I think they're more likely to take seriously when somebody is very articulate and very well thought out in terms of their complaint and their expectation for action. Excellent top 10 list guy. Thank you. Okay. Now just in wrapping up, wanted to just do a few other things. One is to tell everybody how they can go about getting the book. Now, what's really cool about the book as well is that it's in a traditional hard copy form. If you like to read that way, it's also in an ebook form. So if you wanted to read that on a Kindle and the like, if you wanted to listen to it as well, it's also available as an audiobook. And a lot of people that listen to podcasts also like to listen to books. And I was delighted to see that it was available there too. And I did listen to a sample and I saw that uh, you, in fact, uh, read the book for the audio book as well. And I think you have a great voice for audio. And I think the book would be very enjoyable to listen to as well. So I wanted to point people to guywinch.com as the primary place to learn more about you. You've got a blog, you've got lots of other instances where you've been interviewed about the book. You've got a lot of comments and reviews in there as well. You've also got a Facebook page. So that's at facebook.com slash the squeaky wheel, all one word. And you can join the conversation there as well. Is there anything else we need to address in terms of how to get a hold of you, Guy? Um, yes. My uh, only other thing is uh, my uh, Twitter handle is at Guy Winch, G-U-Y-W-I-N-C-H. That's another option. But no, those are the best ways to reach me. The uh, website will give you links to all versions of the book, and it's available on Amazon uh, US, Amazon Canada, Amazon UK, Japan, etc. So you can get it through any of those services. And I would highly recommend it as well. I think this was a great sampling of the kinds of things that you talk about. I think what you provided in this podcast episode will provide lots of insights for people to go and try in the next week in a situation that you want to try these ideas out on. We've talked about before that it's great to have an assignment to go and do over the next week. I recommend that you take uh, the items in this list and apply it to a particular complaint that you'd like to actually uh, provide. And I would also recommend, of course, that you also buy Guy's book as well, because I certainly thought it was a phenomenal book and think it's hugely valuable. Now, before we finish up, I just wanted to also mention that we now have, by popular request of the listeners of this podcast series, a Facebook page for the Life Habits podcast as well. And so you can now go to facebook.com slash lifehabits, all as one word, and like that page and get updates on the podcast, some behind the scenes 
kinds of information, photos of the guests that I have on the podcast series, as well as other discussion as well. And of course, we'll also have, or there already is, a link there to Guy's book, The Squeaky Wheel. So that's it for this podcast. Thanks again, Guy, for doing this and for putting together such a wonderful book. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And that's it for this episode. We'll talk to you all next time. And bye for now.